special event alert. This is Late for Changeover, your weekly space news and variety show. I'm your host, Marty Smith, and I'm joined by Mr. History, Eric Perot. Going on, fellas. And our own Big Burn, Mike John. How's it going, everybody? We're here to bring you the latest headlines and updates pertinent to all Guardians and to the other lesser branches as well. So take your seats, get informed, and have a laugh as we present Late for Changeover. You like that lesser service comment, didn't you? I like that. Was a, <laughs> the other lesser Can I be fake laughing more during the intro, like Eric always always is? Uh, any motiva- any motivation you can give us would be a better show than uh, not. So, fair enough. Mike, tell me that get out of bed comment doesn't make you laugh. Get out of bed and run. That shit cracks me up every time. See, I think I think Mike still treats this podcast as a mandatory meeting he has to go to. It doesn't look like that. <laughs> yes, it looks exactly like that. Yeah. Uh, all right, gentlemen, joining us today is former Navy Petty Officer Second Class and current owner of Leapley Enterprises, Stephen Leapley. Stephen, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Marty. Thanks, thanks for having me on, guys. Now, uh, Stephen and I just did a long-form interview over on uh, the Swearing In podcast uh, so look for that here shortly. I will, uh, uh, I'm going to give him one more chance to send me a picture and then I'm publishing it because it's a good interview. It's fun, you know, but I'd love to see what you look like when you were, uh, swearing in, in 1991. So, you know, I don't know if I have any, the, um, the photo I put up every year for veterans day on my Facebook page, um, my, uh, my wife says that makes me look like I'm gay. So. I'll send you that one. What are you doing? It's it was my sailor of the quarter um um picture. So I'm oh, kind of nice. like Yeah. Are you like hugging one of your shipmates provocatively or something? Whoa, we only do that publicly. Okay. That's what I'm no, saying. That's right. That's oh. right. Post the picture. It's not like it's not like you're in Congress or anything like that. So no, no. you know, you're not live streaming any events over there. So that's that's fine. And by the way. In today's world, it is okay to be gay, Steve. Well, and I, it's okay to live stream it, apparently, too. So, uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, Stephen, you came in uh, in 1991, right? Correct. Tell us how you settled on the Navy. I thought that was a great story. Um, I just called them up and said, I want to go in. They said, okay. That, isn't that how everybody's story goes? No. All right. No, okay. So now, okay, so. now I put you in Mike's category. Now both of you guys are on my shit list. So, you know, hey, that's that's what I do. So, um, no, I I had my uncle growing up. My uncle was was in the Marine Corps, and he was my hero. I always looked up to. And, and you remember the in in boot camp, you you know, we get those the the books, you know. And um, back in the day, in the seventies, they used to put they used to put the books all of your boot camp in the book with with all the colored photos and so when he got out of of the, of the military or out of boot camp he had one for my mom and one for his other sister and and at the house and i would carry that that book around 
when I was a teenager and That's tried to yeah. try to emulate the O course in my backyard because I want like like he was my hero. I, he taught me about music. He taught me how to play drums. Like he he was we would spend hours in his in the basement with a stereo system and uh, just listening to music and telling me stories and and so I wanted to be him. Um, when it came time for me to when I was making my, my decision to join join the military, which was out of going to junior college for a semester and thinking this was like high school with smoke breaks. So I wanted to do something. <laughs> I wanted to do something different. Um, my uncle, I was in Chicago. My uncle was a recruiter in Detroit at the time. Wow. And so um, it was, we started to work this thing out. Like I was going to come in and he was going to be able to, to swear me in. And that was going to be really kind of a cool thing. And we got to just to the point where we're getting ready to, and the staff sergeant and the and the Marine Corps um, said, "Sorry, your uncle's not going to do it, and you know I'm going to be the one that does it. He's not going to get any credit for it." Blah, you know, you know how the military works that way. And I got really pissed off, and I'm like, "So my uncle's not going to be able to do this?" They're like, "Nope." And I'm saying, "Fine, bye. I'm out." Got stood up and walked walked out of the nice of the of the office, and of course, like any yeah. And he's like, uh, you can't do that. I'm like, I haven't signed anything. I'm by. And so I walked out or walked across the hall into the Navy recruiting office. Wow. So now nice. yeah. I didn't want to join the Navy specifically because my dad was in the Navy. It's not that we had a bad relationship. I was just like, ah, I just don't want to do that. I'm not, a, you know, didn't want to kind of follow in his footsteps kind of thing. And so I walked over mad and my, my fun side thing, the other part of me being of, of my uncle being my hero and teaching me about music is I wanted to be a DJ, a radio DJ. And so I was like, wait a second, radio. I'm like, my dad was a radio man in the Navy. I'm like, I'm like, and I just saw good morning Vietnam. So obviously yes. I could be, obviously I could be a disc jockey in the Navy. This would be amazing. And, um, and you know, obviously, obviously that's not how there, there is no disc jockey, you know, billet in, in the Navy in, in 1991, <laughs> you know, maybe in 1967, but not. <laughs> and so, and so I, I, I was in there and he's like, well, we don't, we don't have that. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm not, you know, you know, of course, any 17, 18 year old kid knows how to, you know, manipulate anything. So I was like, you can't sell me on anything. My dad was in the Navy. He tells me you guys lie to me all the time. You know, I was still, you know, mad and, and the chief there was like, Hey, just come sit with me. Come talk to me. He's like, I'm not going to lie to you. It's, you know, blah, blah, blah. So he just sat down and just kind of talked to me. And I was, I was telling Marty, like, he was a really, really good salesman because he's like, well, he goes, if you're not a disc jockey, what do you, what do you want to do? I'm like, I kind of want to be a doctor. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of cool. Um, I thought about, kind of thought about that. And he's like, well, he goes, you could join the Navy and be a corpsman. And I was like, well, what's that? And he was like, well, it's, you know, it's kind of like a doctor, you know, in out in the field, <laughs> out in the field, they call you doc. And I was like in the field. And he was like, yeah, he's like, he's like, um, he's like, well, he stops. He's like, well, what brought you in? And I said, well, I was across the hall at the Marine Corps. Cause I was going to join the Marine Corps and told him the story about my uncle. And he's like, well, if you become a corpsman, you could get stationed with your uncle. And be as and be as that's be, so clever, man. Right? So smart. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> man, I was I was swimming the other way, and he was like, "No, you didn't." Was, that was good. That was a good bait. And so, Perfect. and so I ended up joining the Navy and and being a corpsman. Never got to be stationed with my uncle, wow. but um, no, Amazing. right, right. <laughs> well, here's here's but, the the fun fact. I think it was one of the first things you told me, Stephen, was that he he went to Navy boot in Great Lakes, right? Yep. His A school, which was our tech school, was in Great Lakes. Yes. That's where his first assignment was. Oh, Great Lakes. Great Lakes. <laughs> hey, See the first, world, they said. Travel first, around the world. My, 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 that, that, was, that was my recruiting for the first two years was join the Navy, Sea Great Lakes. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and I was from Chicago, so like I knew exactly where it was. Oh. But at least you got to see your buddies, right? That's a tough two so, years. I did. I did, which we had some amazing stories about that um, from uh, from his first two years there. Yeah, wait for his interview to come out and, and listen to the part about his house party uh, and everything else. It's pretty, it's pretty funny. Yeah, we we'll he, he had a good story there. So, um, but Eric, he uh, he got after he went to Great Lakes, he went to Guam. Yeah, and they're done that game. Spent yeah. three years in spent three years in Guam and and got what what my wife and I lovingly refer to as my first deployment. Some people call it the first marriage. Um, you, know, <laughs> you know, I met I met a I met a beautiful buck sergeant in the Air Force. Oh, she outranked you too. Huh? Well, you know, <laughs> dating up. I love it. Dating up. <laughs> Somebody had to, and uh, you know, it's. I, I, I tell my, I, I, I tell my, my boys. I've, I have eight, eight total kids, and my, my first wife and I have, have one, and then my current wife and I have seven, and we've been together twenty five years. So, wow, that's um, awesome. But I, I, my boys, my older boys asked me dating advice, and I'm like, never marry a girl you sleep with on the first date. So it's the military. <laughs> <laughs> It was the, you know, it was the, it oh was, my goodness. It, you were overseas. Like, you know, that's, I was oh, like, wow. Sure. Right, right, right. But I, I will say this Anderson Air Force Base in Guam was the, one of the prettiest Air Force bases I've, I think, my pretty, the, the coolest bases I've ever been to, honestly. I agree. You agree with that, Eric? I do. Stephen, I was there for a investigation into the death of an Air Force Security Forces woman named Lori Lucas. Did you ever see any information on that? She was killed during a joint exercise with the Marine Corps. That name sounds familiar. What year was that? Oh, it had to be probably 86. Oh. He got in in 91. I know, but I'm. you could still read the information. I mean, it's still there. Just like That's a pretty I, prominent story, yeah. When you yeah, talk yeah. About and there was a robbery. Yeah, an yeah. Air Force cop tried to rob the bank. I do remember Everybody that. Everybody heard that. So, yeah. same timeline. Okay. But I was there. I was six. I was there six months for that little show, uh, which was pretty cool. It was, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful base. Um, Mike, are, are you retired? Are you still active duty? I'm retired. Okay. It was, I mean, I don't know if you remember, Eric, but, you know, those some of those things in life that you remember, and I remember, like, it was on the north end of the island, and we would have to drive down a hill um, to get to the base, and it was like, it literally, um, I mean, it was like, just beautiful, it had the best beaches, you know, it's the Air yep. Force. 
Were you a diver? Because there was we dove the yep. dive. The oh yeah. Feedy bomb holes when I was there. Everybody yep. dives. The oh, I miss that. I miss that spot. I, I, you know, I was landlocked growing up, and and I saw the ocean once in in Miami, you know, for a brief period. And and the only other time I ever saw the or the first time I really swam or was even in the ocean was in Guam, you know, Amazing. and that's like bath water. You could close your eyes and see two oh, miles. Is it really? Oh, yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah. And I then and then you come and then I came to San Diego and and I was my buddy was like, Hey, you want to go diving? I'm like, Yeah, he's like, it's not as warm as it was in Guam. <laughs> yeah, right. That that's what he said. I literally <laughs> I, I I geared up, I took a step into into the water and I was like, Nope. It was like September, October oh, time frame. So the water was cold. Yeah. And uh, I was like, nope, not going to do it. Oh, Jesus. Um, you didn't have, I mean, uh, you had a wetsuit and stuff, right? Not there. Oh, well, shit. In, yeah. in San Diego, I did. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. But it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't thick enough for sure. No. It was like, it yeah. was like culture shock. I don't know how I don't know how surfers get used to it, but I guess you do when that's all you got, I suppose, out there. In my, I'm used to it now after being out here for you know twenty plus years. And my really? son's one of my sons is a surfer. He's, he he surfs literally. He surfs every day. Oh really? Yeah. Wow. Well, he lives in his van down by the ocean. That, well, he's following his dad's footsteps, right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I guess we lost Eric. I, I hope he's dialing back in, um, but. After Guam, you came out to, uh, uh, you were up in Oakland, right? Yep. Mare Island. Mare Island. Yeah, yeah. Shipyard in the back of the bay. And then from there, you went to San Diego. Yeah. So. um, My apologies, fella. I got knocked off. Yeah, saw that. No problem. No problem. Uh, I was just saying that after Guam, he went out to Oakland. Mare Island out there, and then he came down to San Diego. Uh, and then when you got out of active duty, you joined a, a reserve tank battalion for the Marines, yes. right? For yes. six months. For six months. And uh, As a corpsman or as... Yeah, I was going to say, as a corpsman, did you do as that? As a corpsman. As a corpsman, okay. yeah. And it, I mean, Marnie, I, I think, did you say that you were reserve for a while? I can't remember. I was, yeah. I was an active reserve. Nervous. Before yeah. I uh, retired, yeah. So I had, you know. Both ATRs. Okay. Being, being on, being on active duty, like my whole, my whole view of reservists were these guys that would come in once a, once a weekend and like try to take over everything that we did. Right. Um, You know, and just, and, and then do nothing. Uh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that was kind of like my my view of of being a reservist. And then one of my good buddies became one. And mm. and I was like, okay, if you can become a reservist, maybe I can. And so I got <laughs> I got out. <laughs> you can too. I got I got well and I got out in two thousand one, joined the tank battalion and and was there and and left the tank bit battalion on like early September. Like was it September Fourth, yeah. I think I said something like that. Yeah, it was before the September 11th attacks. Right? Yeah, like a a, a, week a week before, right? A week before, I was completely done. And so, were you uh, were you were you glad you were out when that happened, or did a piece of you go, "Hey, I want to get back in and I want to go do something"? Um, at that time, I, I when I got out, I my transition from active duty to to civilian, I got offered a job. I was I was as a corpsman. I, I my last 
my last billet was running the the 911 ambulance system for for the Navy Medical Center here in San Diego. Oh, that's so, cool. So when I got out, I got offered a position at the at the county the county government doing basically what I was doing there, but but managing managing okay. all of the ambulance companies, all of the training companies. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the, cool. the schools. So that was great. So so when that happened. It, it, I I didn't have I didn't have a desire to to go back in at that time because because sure. I was I was already you know knee deep in in all that all that other stuff here um, basically doing the same thing but making seventeen times as much and could go home at five o'clock <laughs> right right how did you this might be a dumb question but um did you how did you avoid like going out on a ship as a corpsman? You just like okay, I'll take this assignment here, or I take this assignment here, or did um, they offer that to you and you turned it down, or they, it's just luck they, of the draw? They did that luck of the draw. I I am um, because they 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 treat overseas duty like like ship like ship duty. So if you go so typically oh, okay. in the Navy you go shore duty, sea duty, shore duty, sea duty. Yeah, yeah. And so overseas can also be considered considered sea duty. Yeah. Um, because you, because you're you're semi forward deployed is what they I forget the I forget the official term that they use, uh, mm. but um so they so I just and then when I went to Mare Island I was only there for a year and they closed the they closed it down and so oh okay um, so and so that's was, how I got that, that's yeah. how I came down to San Diego that was that was like the fork in the road because I had just gotten divorced or just ended my first deployment. <laughs> what a divorce in the military that never hurt it just I know, never happens i know i'm 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 a small percentage of the population <laughs> right <laughs> and um and and so i had i had the opportunity to go to bethesda to work at the oh, naval wow. medical naval medical research institute yeah. which had i gone there it would have set me up to become a doctor um Holy shit. or go to san diego and being from chicago i was like and being being born and raised Midwest, really conservative Christian, you know, Southern California, the land of fruit and nuts kind of thing. I wanted to avoid Literally. San Diego. <laughs> I wanted to avoid San Diego at all costs. And um, but when I got the duty assignment or, or the choice, I was dating a girl in Northern California. And I was like, well, you know, six hour drive to where she's at is a lot easier than marriage. So, you know, once again, I decided to Next B over A, <laughs> and uh, nope. But been there, done that. Had had I yeah, not done right. that, I would not have met my wife and had seven beautiful kids. Wow, that's amazing. So, good stuff, man. Good career. So let's let's jump to because uh, I know you had you did many things there, and like I said, we captured that in the the interview we did. Um, but let's go to Leaply Enterprises. How did you find your way? uh to to was it straight in, i mean was ghostwriting the the catalyst for you or were you doing some things and then you just kind of stumbled onto ghostwriting i kind of stumbled into it really um i've been you know in high school i you know wrote articles for the for the you know the news the newspaper the news you know the the monthly newsletter that comes out in schools and so then when i got into my first duty station at great lakes we had like a clinic newsletter that i used to write for kind of edit and manage oh really uh, 
yeah, it was kind of just a cool little thing. And so, and then, and then I had opportunities throughout my career to write curriculum and uh, a couple, couple really, I think we, I think I shared with this on the interview. I think I had a, I had a nurse at one of the, my duty stations who had a master's degree in education, specifically in curriculum and instruction. So she really let me kind of just taught me how to write curriculum. Um, and so that was great. So wow. I learned how to, I learned how to write. And then but it wasn't until I was in my say early forties that, that my wife and I decided to go back to school and use my GI bill. So we went basically, we went and I did my associate's degree, my bachelor's degree, my master's degree over like a four year period. Jesus. Nice. And, um, <laughs> and, and so, and she had already had, had um, her associate. So she, we did our bachelor's program together. Then we did a master's program together. Um, but during, during the, I think it was the bachelor's, she would just ask me to edit her papers for her. And I remember oh, yeah. this was, I remember this. Yeah. Yeah. This is good. <laughs> so this is where she came to me once and she had a, a, she hands me four pages. She goes, can you edit this? I have a, I have a paper I need to turn in. And I had done a similar paper. And I was like, how many pages is, is this supposed to be? And she's like 10. I'm like, you have four. <laughs> and she's like, <laughs> She's like, yeah, well, I'm done. Um, I'm like, you can't, I, I'm like, you can't turn it in a four page paper. She's it's like, make it work. six. I'm like, that's not going to work. I'm like, you got, you, 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 it has to be maybe nine. Like you can get away with nine. She's like, well, I'm done. So I'm if you want to, whatever you, wanna, you got. <laughs> and so I did. And, and, and so that was the first time that I really like did any kind of ghost writing um, because I had to write yeah. in her tone. Yeah. Um you know, and obviously since she's my wife and like, I knew how she would speak and talk and things that she thought about. So, so I was able to kind of expand on, on her thoughts. See, that's um, interesting. That's a good point because I thought you were just trying to expand the topic out to 10 pages, but you actually tried to write in her voice. So on her yeah. behalf. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's where, so that was really you know, that, and that was still a few years before I actually got into doing, doing any kind of copywriting or ghostwriting, like officially, you know, as an official yeah, thing. So I, right, I, right. um, and, and so I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. So I did that for her, you know, helped her with her, you know, through, through, through the bachelor's and master's program. Now for anybody listening at those schools, um, you know, if by chance you go to those schools and you know who we are, she wrote most of it. I just, you know. <laughs> edited everything for her strictly an edit strictly strictly, strictly content sure. don't worry no one's listening to this it's too late now it's all done it's all awarded right so you're good you yeah talk all yeah. you want so. and so um and then so fast forward um a few years and i'd gotten out of the medical field and did some other jobs and and we had made a decision to to leave our house by a by a, a 36 foot travel trailer with four slide outs and at the time we had six kids um what year so, was this uh 2017 so okay. since two, so since 2017 we've been living full time in in our in our travel trailer um which has been great because we've moved we've done cross country trips um you know, obviously with those kids and traveling, we've homeschooled and, and, um, wow. And so the kids have had an amazing, you know, experience living that. And the, the, the coolest thing about that is even, you know, moving in different places, the inside of the house never changed. So there was always this semblance of home. 
no matter where we went. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which was, which was really cool for the kids. And so, and so in that, I, as we were getting ready to embark on our first trip, I was talking to a buddy of mine and, um, and he, you know, he wanted, needed some writing done and he knew that I was doing some, a little bit of editing or had done a little bit of editing for, you know, in the past. And, um, and he just kind of hired me to, to do copywriting for him and, uh, helped me fund my trip, my cross country trip. And so that was what got me into copywriting. And so I did that. I've done, so I've been a full-time copywriter since 2017. And then, and then this year I decided to kind of try to get rid of and shed all of the copywriting piece and just do ghostwriting and focus on helping helping um, primarily veterans actually um, write their books um, mm. and then blogs and articles, you know, some special projects here and there that I, that I think are interesting and fun to do. Uh, so an amazing transition from medical to let's go literature <laughs> or, or writing, you know yeah. what I mean? Right. Right. Um, the transition. It, it was, you know, interesting was when I was making the, the initial transition out of medicine, I was interviewing for, an HR position at Kinko's and, um, and I don't know if we talked about this or not on the, I don't know if we talked about that one. And, and I was sitting down and the interviewer who became my, my boss, she said, well, why are you changing careers? Um, and we did talk about that. Yeah. That's a good story. It was like the second time in my life where the first thing that popped into my head was I'm not changing careers. I'm changing venues. And she was like, I don't understand that. And I was like, well, as a paramedic, I roll up on a scene. I have 30 seconds to kind of determine if the yeah. scene's safe, what's going on there, right? And it was like, same thing when a customer walks in the store, we have 30 seconds to determine if they're happy, sad, mad at us and, and how we're going to respond. And she was like, that's brilliant. You're hired. <laughs> I like that's it. A, yeah, that's a good response. Yeah, that was, I don't know how you come up with those, right? What was the Maybe. other one you told me that... Uh, uh, was that the was soldier sa- or sailor of the quarter board? Yes. Yes. You want me to share that story? Or you yes. To- tell that story real quick. Okay. You guys will love it. So I was at Mare Island. It was 1995. Um, women were already on ships and, and, and that's when they were, that's when the, the hot topic was women going into combat. And, um, so I was sitting at the, at the sailor of the quarter board or I guess airman of the quarter for you guys. Right. Um, um, and, uh, and my chief said, you know, this question's going to come up. And I'm like, well, how do I respond? And he's like, I can't tell you. You have to come up with it on your own. And after trying to think about my responses, I was like, I'm just going to wing it and go with whatever is the first thing that's on my mind. And, <laughs> and you know, because I figured that would be the most authentic answer. Um, and that's kind of what, you know, it, you know, when you're sitting on those boards, like really you want somebody to be authentic um, sure. and, and and tell you what, what, you, what they really think. And so kind of wait, it was the last question. And I had three old salty guys and the oldest, I think it was like I'm 26, 27 years. Yeah. Um, just looks at me. He's like, he's like, Petty Officer Lee, please. Like, I got one last question for you. He's like, what do you think about women in combat? Uh, and I was like, it like, there it is. And, you know, and I'm all of 24, maybe you know, 25 years old at the time. Right. But I have uh, a valued opinion. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I've lived life. And, and so, I was like, okay, I know this is a hot topic, hot topic. I took a deep breath in and I was like, well, I was like, I think women in combat are a good thing. And you could just see him like, you know, like sitting back and, oh boy, this is not going to end good, sir. And, and he said, 
well, why? The first thing that came to my mind, I said, well, the more women we send into combat, the less chance I have to go. <laughs> <laughs> that was the exact response that they gave, like, busted up laughing. And, and I actually ended up winning the Santa the quarter board because of that response. They were like, that is the most, like politically correct, asinine, <laughs> authentic answer we've ever heard. Yeah. I don't yeah. have to go. Right. That works. Yeah. Like I'm like I'm like, none of us want to go, you know, but it's like, you know, I mean if you want to go, you probably watch Full Metal Jacket one too many times. If you want to go, you're gonna find a way to go. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So well Steven, was- I'll give you a credit on one more thing, man. Throughout my career Cops were partiers. Cops could party like no other man. They, you know, three days off, you could party from the time you got off three days, you're under the couch out cold. The only organization or squadron that I found that could hang were you medic people. Medics. Yeah. Medics, man. Yeah. They knew how to party. Cause I was dating this girl from the medics. I was always at their parties and they knew how to do it, man. I know. Corman and medics had this weird little, I mean, in the army too, because I was in the army for a while. All the medics, they were like the smart ass guys. They were the funniest guys and they were the (laughs) loosest guys. I don't know what it is about that profession, but that's who you want to drink with. Oh man, no doubt. We had access to the drugs. That's why. Yeah, it could be. (laughs) It could be. Something was going on. And, and yes, I I can neither confirm nor deny that statement, Mike. Um, but yes, it's like I've been there before. <laughs> well, now they're looking in. They're looking into microdosing for you know for the military. So yeah, there you go. You got that going for you now too. <laughs> hey, Corman, can I get a little hit from you? Just a little one. <laughs> Just a Pep little bit. Me up. Pep me up. <laughs> so, uh, when did you go to? Uh, Ghostwriting full time. Um, so I would say like full time, full time without doing any kind of copywriting because there's a little bit of difference between copywriting. Oh, and okay. Well, but um, but uh, okay. When do you when were you able to separate from doing a uh, a nine to five with the boss and be self employed? Ah, uh, That is awesome, man. That is awesome. So you're. Yeah. You're ghostwriting. You're doing a little bit of copywriting. You're into some other, uh, some other endeavors. You're in a travel trailer, and we you have, have seven kids. How many kids are, are are with you and your wife still in the trailer? Four. How many chickens do you have? Seventy-five. <laughs> you have seventy-five chickens in the travel trailer. I don't have the chickens in the travel trailer. <laughs> okay, well, let's let's be clear about this. They're in a slide out, all right? They got they're, their they're own they're slide the, out. So. They have their own slide out. <laughs> no, we 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 live on a private land. Um okay. so like so we, we rent land and we're on we're on 20 acres. Um oh, and, wow. awesome. And so I've got 75 chickens, we have five goats. Um we have two dogs and our female dog just gave birth to 13 puppies. Um all in the right. family, brother. What he told yeah. me this in the interview, I was like, "So you just must hate downtime. That's all yeah. you do. You just, yeah, I don't. You're just like I've got to go from sun up to sundown, man. Yeah, I should have stopped like ten years ago, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's always time to stop. You're good. Yeah. <laughs> so now what? Yeah. You're just yeah. you're just moving to another uh, 
private landowner or do you have some? Yeah, we, uh... we, we moved out. We moved. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with San Diego at all. Um, the the gaslight so, district. <laughs> yeah, I've been there a couple times, but <laughs> so up up in up in like the North County Fallbrook area is what it's called. Um, it's uh, just like inland from Camp Pendleton, which is the big Marine Corps base up there. Okay. Um, and so that's it, which is it, and Fallbrook is huge. So um, so we moved from like the the west end of the hills in the middle of nowhere to the east end, almost in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> but. <laughs> But it's a half hour closer to everything that we do. So. Oh, okay. Well, that's and cool. you're still in the RV, is that correct? And we're, we're we're still in the RV. There's actually we have we have the RV, and then um, the landlords put this old like retro travel trailer, um, mobile home. Like like if you go into a trailer park and you see grandma lives in a single wide, you yeah. know, in a yeah. mobile home park. That's right. that's on the land. So we're like, whoa! Check out all this room we have. <laughs> like, you know. You know a full like full on stove and oh. oven now instead of like the trap the oh. yeah so yeah, nice. so we're kind of there's a there's a there's an off grid couple in Missouri called that has a YouTube channel they do like all this homesteading kind of stuff and it's called Off Grid with Doug and Stacy um and they have they have like two homes they have well they have like two log cabins one is their kitchen and dining room and then the other one is their living their living space where they sleep and and um and so that's kind of what we have we have our our living so the travel trailer is now where we sleep at um and then we may able to make a, a room for the for the kids like a, a little play area that's amazing. And, then, and then we just use the you know use the room and use we call it the retro is what we call it now and uh <laughs> and so we use that to like to, to you know cook and eat and kind of hang out in but the coolest thing is i finally now have an office that's like oh nice yeah, isolate nice. yourself so I, I we we had an out we had so the travel trailer came with a like an outside kitchen and so we converted the outside kitchen into my office so i would you know could stand up and and have my bookshelf up and it was it was kind of cool but i'm i'm grateful to to sit down now and and yeah, yeah. and be able to close the door and, and do a little bit of work very nice well one last thing let's say <clears throat> let's do a little role play here not a formal role play, role play. <laughs> so mike johns wants to tell you his story right so okay. he gets in contact with you finds out about you how does that whole process go where mike comes and goes hey i i want to tell you my biography right mm. i kind of sit down i have i i have like a, a 21 question questionnaire that i walk through with people about why you want to write a book um, you know, kind of what your audience is, what your, you know, what your purpose is, who, what audience you want, what's the goal that you have for it. And, um, and so that, that's kind of the initial, the initial consultation, if you will, is just to sit down and like walk through the, the, like a 30,000 foot view of what it would look like to have a book done. Huh. Um, okay. and just to kind of get an idea of, 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 you know, stories, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people like to use their books. They'll use their books to help, to help elevate their business. Um, you know, especially, especially, you know, there's, there's the niche I've kind of fallen into has been, has been with, um, special operations, um, forces that have turned vets that have turned into, into entrepreneurs. Um, 
and uh, it's something that's fell fell into um, this year, which has been really cool. Um, and so I've been, I just sit down and kind of walk through because it's usually if, if if you go into business for yourself, um, you know, there's in the entrepreneurial world, you know, there's the whole like your message, your message, kind of you know, like the whole like where you've come from and the stories that you have have made you who you are today. Sure. And that's that's what makes you you know a, a better entrepreneur. You know, because you've you've, oh, cool. you've gone through all these challenges and so you can kind of you know be resilient and, and work through them and a lot of people especially in the coaching a decent amount of of consultants but especially in the coaching business the coaching world speaking world there's a lot of people who you know like come out of addiction you know and, and now oh, life yeah, coaches right. and kind of things like that so it's right. so there's a you know we all have we all kind of have our story and so and so that's really the the first piece is just like what is your story finding out about your story and and what you want to do with it and and sometimes people don't know and that even even in that I've kind of I've kind of moved into this helping helping vets just tell their story in general um uh, not necessarily not necessarily for business um but some of it just as legacy to pass on to their kids um if, have you, know, you found if, have you found that uh you're able to help some of these guys work through some of that, some of maybe the issues they had while they were in the military. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've one of the, one of the guys I'm working with right now, like he's like, you know, this, this is like help me getting my story out on paper has, has helped me more with my PTSD than therapy ever has. Wow. wow. Um, that's big. That's yeah, huge. That's and cool. so when he said that, that was like this, it was almost like a divine appointment you know, for me of like, there's, you know, it, I love, you know, I love helping people write their books, you know, help their businesses thrive and kind of relate that, that, that nonfiction kind of half storytelling memoir, half, half business kind of thing. Um, but, but hearing that from that guy was, was really like Ooh. just this moment of yeah. like, yeah, wow. Like I didn't even think about that. Big you stuff. Know, it's very cathartic. And, 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 you know, some people think when they, when they think of ghostwriting, they think of somebody going, Hey, I, I want a book, you know, Marty comes to me and says, you know, write me a book on insects. And I just write a book on insects and put your name on it and you get all the credit for it. And, <laughs> right, and right. there are some of those out there like that. But, um, <laughs> but for me, it's like, it's a, it's a very personal experience. Like I'm, I'm blessed that because we live in the trailer, and even though we have a farm, so it's kind of changing a little bit, but for the most part, I can live very minimally. And so because, because of that, I don't have to take every job that comes my way. I don't have to, oh. I can, so I can spend a little bit more time with people. Um, yeah. yeah. The if, most if important. Will. Yeah. My, yeah. I mean, the ones you really feel, you know, yeah. connected yeah. to. And, and so like, it's just, it, it really hit me. Like, I think, I think even since I, since you and I chatted last time, Marty, like it's just, a couple more people that have reached out. Like, I just, I just want to tell my story. Like I want somebody, somebody called me the other day and said, can you help me write my story for my kids? And I was yeah. like, yeah, Jeez, that's great. So that's awesome. Like, yeah. Isn't that those legacies that we leave, you know, don't always have to be like your names on a, on a plaque on a wall in, you know, Utah somewhere. It's, you know, sitting on the, sitting on a, on a table in the living room. Sure. I mean, my, my, both my great uncles, Flew in World War Two. That's all I know about. Mm. I know the plane. They they flew C forty sevens, 
and that's kind of all I know about them with some selective pictures. If they had met you and done something like that and to pass it two generations later, be like, holy been shit. Huge. Yeah, yeah, that'd be awesome. Right? Yeah. Like, you know, as stupid I mean, as it sounds, this podcast for me, my son said, hey, you know, if I do ever have kids, he'll be able to hear his grandpa when his grandpa's gone and what why, his opinions were. And I mean, even that simple stuff. It's why does a, that got to be as stupid as it sounds? Every time you you and Mike, you're like, it's stupid. When no, 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 like, no, stupid. no. I know everything I say is brilliant. And actually, I do have a question. Is there is there like a question you ask? Um, you know, the various veterans you work with that kind of cracks the code and helps them to like actually open up. Oh, yeah. and, That's a good one. You know, is, is there, is there something, you know, think about any of us sitting around and, you know, randomly walking into somebody that's actually having a bad day. Is there a question that you found that you can ask over and over again, that just kind of opens up that hard shell we all have? Mm. No, but <laughs> Um, but no, nothing specific, but like as, as a go-to question. Um, but, but as I think about it, a question that that will come up, that tends to come up, at, you know, almost every time is 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 the legacy question. Like if you like who who in your family, you know, would you like to have this most be impacted by, or be most impacted by your story, or, or who would you like to see this translate down to? Um, it's, it's, I'm asking that more and more, um, mm-hmm. as a prevalent question, but it just kind of always seems to come out and, mm-hmm. you know, at, at some point of, of just like, um, cause I'm a big legacy kind of guy, just like wanting to, to, to create something to last, you know, past me. Um, so I, I think, think that's I think, important for most men. I really do. What did yeah. I leave beyond? Yeah. I really think like, it's important. Like like what you were saying, Marty. I I didn't find out until till after my grandfather died. Like, um, so my uncle, who was my hero, his dad, my grandpa, um, right. his army, his army uniform hung in the garage for like thirty years, oh, and yeah. and I would see it yeah. every time that the door would open, and I never noticed it until he passed away, um, and I looked at the I looked at it one day, and I was like, wait. He was a medic in the army. No way. Yeah, and and my grandma was like, "Well, yeah, he was." And here's the kicker: he's like, he was at he was at D Day. He was he was. Oh, wow. the, the oh that's pursuit. huge! And I was like, "Whoa!" I never knew that, you know. And then my other grandpa on my other side, um, he was an Air Force mechanic and during the Korea War. Um, wow. But um, but I did I didn't know until until after he passed away. Um, in fact, on our we were. I would say 2018, we were on a trip, on a cross-country trip. Yeah. And it was visiting my mom in Ohio. And we were in um, we were up in this, this town called Mansfield. And um, and she's like, Oh, she's like, she's like, um, we could take you by I was like, Oh, that's where Shawshank Redemption was filmed. At the, at the, there's a penitentiary in in outside of Mansfield, Ohio. And so we go there and I mean it was one of my favorite movies. So I'd like to see yeah. the to yeah. see it live is like, oh, this is really cool. And then my mom was like, just nonchalantly, she's like, "Yeah, your your grandpa was a security guard here for thirty years." Oh my god! Oh wow! <laughs> like, oh my Amazing. gosh! To have actually, like, yeah. yeah, had I known that when I was even 
been a teenager. In my sure. Like, like he died when I was, I think, 28, 29. But, like, man, had I had I known that earlier. What a story um, you could have written for him. Oh, yeah. man, no doubt. Yeah. D-Day as well. The other Mike, guy- do you, Mike, do you yeah. have a fam- or family that was in the military besides you? I mean, your father. Yeah, I mean, I come from a completely blue family. Uh, my dad was—he's a retired mass sergeant. He was security forces. Uh, my mom ah. did a couple of years. My mom did a couple of years um, at the get-go, and she went over to the reserve. She retired as a major. Um, and then my little sister is actually a current reserve chief. So damn. Mike, if you need, I'll be your stepdad if you'd like. No, I think I think we understand <laughs> the animosity that he shows you, Eric. That's where it came from, <laughs> didn't it? <laughs> uh, Stephen, where can we find you at? You're on LinkedIn, right? At Stephen Leapley. Just search for Stephen Leapley on yeah. uh, LinkedIn. Um, and you're also at uh, LeapleyEnterprises.com, right? Yes. Yep. Um, you know, and, and I didn't, I didn't share, I didn't ask you this before, but, um, but if, um, if anybody who's listening, um, do we, is this video as well? Or is it just audio? Yeah. Yeah. I put it out on Facebook and YouTube. So, oh, I should have wore something else. <laughs> you look good, David. Yeah. Oh, I like to, I like to make pizza great should... again. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> just, um, for for people who are, who are watching this, if if they hit any of my any of my socials, like Facebook, LinkedIn, um, Instagram, I didn't want to put your Facebook out there because I wasn't sure. That's so. okay. Uh, I'm I'm an open I'm an open book. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, if if they just shoot me a, shoot me a message that says in, and just put late in the DM and I'll get it back to you. I, for for people who are listening here, and I'll even send it out to you guys too. When once we're off here, okay. Um, is I have I have a um like a template that I use that I call it I call it the it's the like the nine story type storytelling tips. So when I when I sit down with a client, um, and this is kind of a little bit deeper for your question too, Mike. Um, when I sit down with a client, I go through these questions um, to kind of really like formulate your story. Um, and so I'm, I want to give that to anybody who's listening, watching it if they want it. And then um, in that I have I also sh- shoot everybody out a. 21 questions to ask a ghostwriter before you hire one because those are important <laughs> those are important nice. questions um and then I, okay. and then i have a i have a I actually have a special report that i that i just finished after you and i talked it made me think about this and so i wrote it i wrote a like a probably 15 page thing on why it's important for veterans to tell their story oh that's awesome man. absolutely so i'll send yeah, that over awesome. i'll send that over to you guys and um Good, and, then, and I'll yeah, put and links. Then, I'll I'll put links to all of that in the show. And uh, uh, if I had a website, I would put it up on a website. But, uh, <laughs> we're technical. We're pretty you, hokey you on a, this. <laughs> you got enough computers behind you, Marty. <laughs> oh yeah, you see all those RGBs? Look at those goddamn yeah. things, right? That's yeah. that's the old uh, work center uh, we used to work at. Uh, Mike and I, uh, and Jake. He's not here. He's he's. He's out of the closet and he's, uh, we can't find him. So, uh, yeah, I just, I just watched the war games the other day. It reminds us what it that reminds looks me. like oh, yeah. it, doesn't it? Right. <laughs> yes. Crazy war games. Um, that's what I think about with space force. That's what, well, that's that too. Don't that get me entrance, started that's, with that. That's the uh, behind Eric. That's the Cheyenne mountain entrance, right? That's where 
Oh yeah, all it is. supposed to be yep. in. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. So do you want to play a game, right? <laughs> you want to play a game. game of chess. <laughs> All right, Stephen, uh, you'll you'll stay on and crack wise with a few stories we got. Hundred percent, not wow. too awesome. Um, all right, let's go. The first one. Uh, I didn't want to do the story, but I felt like we should. So, uh, they f- they finally passed the National Defense Authorization Act, right? The NDAA. Mm-hmm. So this story from AirspaceForce.com. Congress passes the NDAA. Provides 5.2% pay raise for every airman and guardian. So I'm just going to hit a couple highlights on this thing because it is massive. It's 3,000 pages. Okay. And uh, interestingly enough, the NDAA only authorizes programs and expenditures. It doesn't appropriate funds. So they still have to go back and get the uh, defense appropriations bill to fund any of this stuff. So it's just, uh, which it's, I'm not that adept enough to understand the NDA is like, you will have this. And then they're like, okay, let's go ask for money. And maybe they get it. Maybe they don't. I don't know. It's confusing. So, Did you check to see if that document was ghostwritten? Oh, I'm Just, sure it was ghostwritten. I'm sure no Senator or Congressman put a pen to paper on that goddamn thing. Right. It, it came from sports illustrated. Oh yeah. With an alias. Uh, the NDAA only mandates and directs policy, requires reviews and reports, and establishes minimum and maximum numbers of personnel, equipment, and spending. So they don't have the money for it yet. They still got to do that through the defense appropriations bill. But included in this NDAA is a 5.2% pay raise, which is the Ooh. largest in 20 years, and new rules governing the basic needs allowance, so I guess BAH, BAS, uh, which, insure, which ensures service members with large families don't fall below 150% of the federal poverty level. That's I don't know what that means, but that sounds alarming, doesn't it? (laughs) 150% of the federal poverty level? So So I guess we have service members falling underneath that? Jeez. Oh. Um, As a a side note, here in California, where you have... Because they have the you know the mandatory health insurance, right? So we have this thing called Covered California, and you put in your oh yeah, that's the uh, Obamacare light, right? The, yeah, the Obamacare light. So you put in like for me, I put in I when I was making seventy thousand dollars a year as a base salary with six with six dependents. Yeah, the only thing I qualified for was state supported. Oh, so it, holy shit, really? Yeah. Oh my god! So what you to swing that? That's California. It's, I have Newsom. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in heaven. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What are you guys? Sixty-eight well, I mean, million. How'd you, how'd you get by? Like, what'd you what'd you do oh. to come? That's what I meant. Uh, oh, you know what? I we I the the insurance from the from the my last job my last official job that I had um was out was astronomical. It was like. 40% of my paycheck would have gone to, oh, to healthcare. Um, and so, and so, so then I decided not to go with my, my business yeah. to go with covered California. It was the only thing that that was provided. So that, so we don't, I don't have to pay for healthcare in that sense, which is, which was nice. Yeah. Um, um, it's very nice, but, but I, I think just getting by generally speaking, like it's, I don't know how some people do it, but it just, I don't no. buy my kids. 
you know they they you know we they i can go to a thrift store and get them a hundred dollars worth of clothes that anywhere else would be a thousand dollars and it's brand new stuff so it's, oh, yeah. it's, it's all about how you how you manage what you have um, it is you know and I, I, along that same lines we were talking about i was talking with my wife the other day and we were talking about our parents and how her set of parents and my set of parents both were never really great cooks. They just cooked, you know, but there wasn't anything flamboyant. And I was like, well, they had, they had depression era parents. So they learned from them and they're just like stretch, everything stretch. Right. I mean, uh, our, our, one of our big meals in our house was what my mom and dad called marriage noodles was just elbow macaroni, uh, tomato sauce and, and, ground beef that was it right and they just <laughs> they, they called it marriage noodles because that's what they had on their on their wedding night so uh you have ways to cook that are you know you can stretch more right? cost effective much like sure. clothes that you can stretch and there's there's techniques to do that um yeah. especially with seven kids i guess you kind of forced to do something like that right um but we, you know, that's out of practice now. You know, we, we don't really do that. Hell, now all our spoiled kids got DoorDash and everything else. You're like, he's yeah, right. <laughs> I remember the hamburger stand where you go down and get four hamburgers for twenty five cents a piece, and I was like, God damn, this is great. White Castle, baby, that was awesome. White Castle, that's you right. can get them little burr sliders. Oh yeah, Stroh's, oh, yeah. Stroh's beer would give you fifteen for twelve. Ooh. That's right. <laughs> Strohs, you're old, Marty. <laughs> I know. I'm not as old as Eric, but I am old. That's true. <laughs> you know, before my son got into fence building, he was on his own, and he started a website um, doing the whole Poshmark thing, where what he is would that? go. What is? I, I know of Poshmark, but what is? It's what websites is... that sell other other wares stuff. Oh, okay. So my son started a website, really wasn't a website. It was an Instagram and some Facebook stuff where he would go to the bins. They call them the bins where people would throw old clothing and just everything. And he'd get permission from the site. They'd let him go in. He'd pay a, a small, small premium on T-shirts, uh, you know, yeah. bags, purses, all these high-end things that people were just tired of, but were in still good shape, he'd turn around and sell them on his Instagram and make it. Oh, make no it kidding. Yeah. Clean them up if they had to. It was really big for um, some of the hardcore rock and roll shirts that were sold at concerts that people had no longer, you know, your... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he'd find those things and people would jump out of the wagons to buy that thing, man. Really? So, yeah. So he, he still does that still gets his work clothes from him. Yeah. There's a little place in a town out here. I'm in Arizona, um, in a town called Bisbee. And, uh, they sell those rock and roll t-shirts to girls for like $225. What? Like, I was looking for the kiss for my wife for Christmas. And, you know, this little shop, they've got a bunch of little nifty things that she would like and stuff like that. I looked up, I was like, oh man, Guns N' Roses t-shirt, that'll be cool. And I clicked on it, it was like 225 bucks. Jesus Christ. You know, yeah. this thing sold maybe 25 and it was way overpriced at the concert. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, people go up and get that stuff and put it in a box and save it. Do they bill them as like actual concert shirts or something like that? Yeah, vintage, vintage clothing vintage. and nonsense like that. Vintage oh, clothing. Wow. Wow. 
Wow. He would do the most on those and like Louis Vuitton stuff. Even if it was just a, a, a kickoff of a, a real one. Really? People love that stuff, man. Love Eric, it. you seem more like a Gucci family. No. No Gucci here, baby. Well, Eric, <laughs> if you if you had known now, uh, back when you were in Korea, yeah. you'd have cleaned up on Coach and all the other stuff that they oh, make up there. Oh, I would have been lining but up. I remember, whatever, what, what was it, Mike? What was the exercise that all the space guys went to? Was it Ulchi Focus? Ulchi Focus Garden. Yeah. And they would go out there and people would give them money. And they're like, hey, my wife wants this uh, yeah. coach purse or my, you know, somebody wants this. And they, cause it's, it's dirt cheap over there. Right. Well, it's no, it's fake. I've been, in, I've been in the, I've, I've gone. <laughs> Is it really? I've been, I've been through the door that they open up to show you where all the fake shit is. And uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's actually pretty cool. Yeah. I've got pictures on my cell phone. I can find them and send them over, but uh but yeah, it's it's interesting because I went in, you know, I went into one of these purse stores and I was like, hey, you know, I've got a friend that wants a, you know, a Gucci purse or whatever it was at the time. I showed him a picture. I mean, he was like, follow me. And then we went down these, these sets of stairs and he literally pulled off all the purses that he had against the wall and opened up what? a false wall. And behind that, they had all the fake shit all back there. And he's like, okay. And he pulled one out and he was like, oh, that's not it. And he went through like three of me. He goes, he you know, looked at my phone. He's like, this is the one. And as opposed to being, you know, like $2,000 or $3,000, it was like 225 bucks. He wanted American cash. Wow. <laughs> Moral of the story is you can certainly live off a dollar if you know how to do it. Yeah, that's true. Well, we I really bring it all remember that dude, there was a tailor out there that made really good suits. I had my my uh, mess dress made out there. I wish I <laughs> yeah, I've heard, a, I, I've heard a lot of people who did that too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> that's hilarious, but yeah, bring it all back to what Steven was saying. Um, so is that pay raise just for, for soldiers I, they, and airmen? They say it's everyone. So I don't yeah, understand I how they say it's the everyone. Right. Cause there was, there was some uh, talk earlier. Hey, it wasn't talk. I mean, there was discussions about like, Hey, we should raise the junior enlisted pay. Well, but but you can only go so far before you got an E4 making what an E5 is making, right? Now it's like, okay, shit. Now you got to raise the next tier and then you got to raise the next tier. And all of a sudden that ripple is like billions of dollars or whatever, whatever it turns out to be. No more. It's going to be a 5.2 across the board, which is good for us retirees because that base pay is what we get paid off of. Yep. Right. But what they can do well, I mean, they've already done it, right? They've already said 5.2. But I, I think in those conversations, what they could do, they can compensate you on BAH, BAS, uh, all you know, all that stuff, housing. They can give junior enlisted more for that without disrupting the scale and causing a domino effect all the way down the scale. So, uh, yeah. Those other parts. Or, well, they really need to look. They really need to look at the pay tiers all together and really have a come to Jesus meeting about the whole thing because it's not comparable to the real world. Oh, I agree. And when they raised minimum wage, and now you got uh, a guy at Robin Hood Sandwiches who's making more than the <laughs> E two, you know, who's serving, and you're like, "Fuck you, dude." <laughs> I, I'm not gonna go in. I'm gonna yeah, stay. Well, I, at Robin I Hood. just go. I just go to Afies. I'll make more at Afies <laughs> than I will. Uh, uh signing on the dotted line so 
I still have a credit card from Athey's. I probably should pay that off. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think my star card is still, if I ever wanted to use it, I think I could go use my star card if I ever wanted to. Cause I remember buying a computer on that thing about 30 years ago and I and paid being, forever on that. And paying off of it for like 10. Yeah, yeah I, I did. I paid forever on that thing. The star card. So, uh, so it's through. They got to wait for the appropriations bill. There's a couple of items in there uh, on the NDAA that were pertinent to us. So aircraft moves, which is weird. This is odd because they're like other provisions in the NDAA include slowing aircraft attrition. So Congress imposed new limits on Air Force plans to retire the F-15E and F-16 fighter jets. So it took Congress to tell the Air Force, stop retiring your planes. And Maybe. the Air Force was like, no, we want to get rid of them. And it's like, <laughs> why? Yeah, that F-15 can still do the job, baby. I, I, I don't understand. Now, when they get in the F-22s, they, they have some limitations on the F-22s because I guess the F-22 is like one of the most expensive. It's almost like, uh, what was the old spy plane that was so, that was so expensive? SR-71. SR-71, right? That was so expensive to maintain that they were like, or wasn't it, didn't it, like it needed to be pressurized at altitude, otherwise it leaked? Or something like yeah, that. Yeah, when it took when it took off, it would oh, leak problems. fuel on the way. Yeah. And yeah. then so as it got up to altitude, it would seal up. But that was the way it was in, I mean, it was invented by the CIA. The A twelve was designed, right? So I get that, and I I get that they're saying the F twenty two is one of the most expensive planes to maintain. But for the U the United States Air Force, which is weird because all the war gaming, right, is like if we go to war with China, we don't have enough shit. Right? <laughs> They outnumber us forever. And here's the Air Force is like, yeah, get rid of the F-15, get rid of the F-22. Uh, Bad idea. Get rid of some time. of these uh, A-10s. You know, we don't need them. It's like, what well, the problem with the F-22 is the supply chain. You can't build new ones now right. because they shut it all down. Right, right, right. So uh, interesting that Congress had to say, stop retiring these planes. Okay. They told the Air Force that, right? Well, they got to get the money from somewhere. Okay, so let's get as far away from Stephen Leapley as we can, and let's talk the Space Force provision in the NDAA, (laughs) all right? And this is interesting. I only touch on this because this is an interesting fight, what they want to do. For the Space Force, the bill mandates a single personnel management system essentially doing away with regular and reserve members in favor of a system that allows for both full-time and part-time guardians. This just sounds like a whole wordsmith thing. <laughs> that's all That's all it sounds, right? I told you it was written by somebody else. So instead else. of regular and reserve, we're going to call you part-time and full-time. Mm. That sounds like the dumbest thing ever, right? Well, I have a little bit of, I've got a little bit of insight into this. And what they wanted to do Bill was, let's hear it. as they were trying to get into how they partitioned off the Space Force with a reserve component and National Guard component. They tried to kind of fuse it all into one. And then the idea was that a lot of the people you would hire into the Space Force would have skills that would go beyond just the military and they'd want to show up and, you know, 
advance her skills, get certificates and stuff like that, and then move back to the private sector. And then to be able to pull from the private sector back into the military, um, some of these guys, so you could come in, get an initial skill set, go to the private sector, do some things, and then move back into the military sector um, to do even cooler things, and then move back to the private sector. Uh, that was the idea behind it. Whether it would actually work, who knows? Well, the way they described it, and give you credit for what you're saying, because I think that what you're talking about is the concept that started it. But the way they described it is they still, I mean, even if you're part-time, you still got to do your your one weekend a month and your, four, and your 14 training days. It's like, that's a reservist, right? But they're calling them part-time. So that's why I say it sounds like this massive just wordsmith thing. And then when you get into the National Guard, they are totally screwed up on the National Guard because National Guard is sponsored by the state, you know, that kind of thing. And they want it to be all federal. So they don't know if they're going to have a, a National Guard. So that's the next fight that they're going to have. It's amazing when shit is not broke that we have to try to fix it. Well, things are broken. I mean, you look at the recruiting sector, recruiting is broken right now. I know that, but I'm talking about things that have been in place for years. When hasn't it been broken? Well, that's true. (laughs) I mean, but when you were talking about recruiting, I I made this comment in our interview, is that you went in with some kind of, uh, you, you, you talk to the recruiters unlike most people who go into the recruiters. Most people are just like, okay, I guess if that's all you have, if I got to be a security force, I guess that's what I'm going to do. That's true. And he walks out, right? And you were like, stick it up your ass. I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Which is amazing. But you had your uncle, you had your dad, you had some people talking into you. I'm sure they were like, don't, don't let this guy snow you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, that's huge. I mean, uh, uh, that that makes such a big difference. But uh, yeah, I don't. I getting back to this NDA. I I don't know how they're going to do it. It's uh, it just sounds like a mess with the uh, the space force piece, and and I don't really know if anybody will really be able to tell the difference if they do this whole. Okay, we're not going to have reserves. We're just going to have part timers. Okay, that's good I luck mean, with that. I mean, there's a there's a significant people amount of people who work in space that take off the uniform and then they go work for Lockheed or they work for Northrop or they work for Raytheon or or Parsons or whoever else. So they're working in the space industry, and then they come back on the weekend they put the uniform on. Okay, that's how the reserves currently works in space right now, and now they want to call them. Ah, those guys are just part timers. Dumb. <laughs> well, if they go, if they do part time, if they if they go with this part time, then then they would they even have to like pay for their medical benefits? Because... Well, that's 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 I, I, that's what I'm saying. Unless they rewrite all that stuff, because you got to be on orders to get the medical stuff. So, yeah. Um, I I I don't know. I mean, I, I I think they like the reserve piece. I don't know why they're trying to call it a different thing because reserves are all federal. The National Guard, that's state. And so they're like, oh, we don't know if we want Space Force to be on the state. And I don't know why. I don't know why. It sounds like a congressional fight. 
for no other reason than uh, funds. Probably it's probably funding. You know, Is that like when they made the post office a, a private company instead of a government organization. Uh yeah, probably. that's comparable. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think so. That makes sense. So it's all it's all tied to money, all the other stuff. But there are several. I think there's. I think I, I read there's 16 National Guard space-related units across across the U.S. Not many. Um, but what do those guys do when they're like, we want to get rid of the Space National Guard? And these guys are like, uh, maybe I should leave now. You know? <laughs> <laughs> they think they got a recruiting problem now. They're going to have I'm a big Cross train quick. Right. Gotta be a cop. I want to be the security forces. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Let's. Uh, I don't want to talk about GPS, even if it's a good story. You know that GPS story I sent you. You know who wrote it? Did you read it? I know you guys didn't read it. <laughs> I send them stories every week, and they're all yeah. like, "I'm prepared." And I'm like, "Did you read it?" And they're like, "I did." So it's almost like an assignment to them. That's why they don't want to read it. Now, maybe if we hired you, you could ghost read it and then send them cliff notes. Ghost read it and send us talking points. <laughs> That's why um, I use chat GPT. Oh, man. Have you, have you played around with that yet? I have. Really? Yeah, actually, uh, I actually use chat GPT as my assistant. But I, we use it I, quite a bit, too, in our in our. Oh, you do? Business. No kidding. Really? Yeah. We, use it to, we use it to help us start proposals just to give us a baseline to run oh, through. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, we go the, back through and then re-edit and do I all mean, that kind of stuff. It's a good layout of a starting point. Because you can go in and say, hey, I'm a senior level electrical engineer. I need you to write X, Y, and Z for this thing. And then it'll go through and search the internet for everything you'd search the internet for anyway. And then lay it all out, and we go back through and put the nuance into it that we need to. And it's—I mean—I would say that ChatGPT at the end of the day probably provides thirty percent of what we actually push forward. Sure. Um, but it, it definitely you. gives us paragraphs, and it it lines our thoughts up um, in a better way than what would take us hours and hours to do. It breaks it down into you know. A few exactly. more hours or a few less hours, but it's still, you know, yeah, you just got to go through and translate it. Always easier to create than to edit. I mean, always easier to edit than to create, edit. right? Yeah. Yeah. What's Let's the name say, of the software? Pulls a bunch Chat of GBT. That's the, say it the, too fast. Slow down a little bit. Chat GPT. It's what all the kids are using these days to write their reports on, you know, it's every day. We cops it's, are slow. I needed you to just slow it down a little bit so I could understand. It's the got, it's the AI piece, right? It's the AI you piece. Can that download you your jitterbug. Yeah, it's your jitterbug. <laughs> is, um, is that available in Netscape? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's only available via AOL Instant Messenger. So, Ooh. can I add it onto my Prodigy? Uh, you know, if I wanted to, if I dialed up. What was the what was the first uh Eric, what was the first internet service you ever signed up for? AOL. Was it AOL? Mine yep. was Prodigy. I signed up with Prodigy. Because yeah. everybody was on AOL. Fuck AOL. I'm going Prodigy. I was on AOL. Because they I mailed had, you a I disc. Had prodigy as a kid. Yeah, I remember that. 
Well, what was AOL your first was, computer? AOL was brilliant because they mailed you out the disc. You know, like, here yep. you go. There yep. you go, right? My first computer I bought um, came, it was a Hewlett Packard. And six months after I bought it, I got the Windows 95 disc. So I could <laughs> nice. put the operating system in. <laughs> nice. Yeah. 64 Commodore. Yep. And I Whoa. played Pong. Bing, bing. <laughs> <laughs> that was all I played on that thing, man. Anyway, there was a there was a good article, and this is the second week I'm I'm skipping it. So, but it was an opinion piece in USA Today, and you know who wrote it? Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Robert Ray, <laughs> who's the current commander of the Second Space Operations Squadron, or oh. two shots, who actually flies GPS. Now, so, how relevant is that? Yeah, it was good. That's cool. That's a good article. It's a decent article. It's pretty good. Talking about how valuable GPS is um, and how we'll never turn it off. You know, we'll never turn off. Uh, uh, what's the damn thing called? Um, selective availability or M code. I don't even know if we can say M code because it doesn't exist anymore. Too late. But, yeah, that was from up during the Clinton administration. Yeah, Clinton's like, forget it. Because GPS uh, came up with an option that we could turn it on and just military could use it. That was M code or whatever you, whatever you want to call. It. And Clinton was like, ah, we'll never use that. <laughs> so he was like, ah, F it. And so, uh, okay. I guess, uh, I guess, uh, it's for everyone now. So, well, the best part of, let me, let me talk about GPS real quick. The best part about GPS unavailability was myself going through this course called space 200 it was one of those courses you had to go through as a space professional that helped enlighten you to the other um satellite systems and all that stuff you'd have to deal with in the air force and one of the big things they would always say was that if gps went out you would lose timing across financial networks and all that stuff well one of the instructors he goes by rails he would always bring up the fact that there was never a GPS receiver in any ATM machine. And he had schematics of, of, of ATM machines that did not have GPS receivers. And he was like, dude, if GPS goes out, you will still be able to get money out of an ATM. It's not going to take down all these financial networks. And, you know, the argument was always on timing and that all yeah. these things would use high timing, but there was nothing ever proven. So it was, you know, there, I can't prove it right now. And he did bring up a good huh. point that there is not a GPS receiver in ATM machines. And this this whole nonsense of all these GPS guys going, dude, GPS goes down, the whole world's going to go the to shit. The banks will collapse. Yeah. Financial it's, transactions will cease. It's bullshit. And I'm, I'm on Rails side. Rails, if you happen to be listening to this, buddy, I'm with you, dude. You convinced me. And uh, yeah, the loss of GPS is not huh. some cataclysmic event. I'm glad bring I didn't go through that story. If you I'm glad I didn't go through that story because I was going to bring up his point, not my point, Colonel <laughs> Ray, Colonel Ray's point, uh, which was just what you just disputed or, or dissuaded me. So, yeah, he's, um, a, he's a victim of propaganda is what that is. But they did say that if we lost GPS, that even the digitally imposed first down line on televised football games, that would go away. Oh my God! The end of the world. Oh my bullshit. God! Bullshit! Bullshit! <laughs> because we're too stupid now to know where the. Where I, the I, I know. I watched it for <laughs> fucking years without that line. 
I, I could I could tell he made the first down or not from the freaking TV screen. <laughs> and show me the GPS receiver in the in the end zone pylons. Well, show me the GPS receiver in the uh, hockey puck. Remember when they used to do that when they yeah. when they tried that for a little while? They tried to uh, highlight the hockey puck that was going around. Yeah, it's only like for a couple. Is that, years. Is that level? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah. Well, anyway, I mean, GPS, GPS going out would be a huge problem, but the cat the catastrophic thing that everyone or that everyone that all right. these guys have been right. propagandizing right. has been ridiculous. So, I like when they go, all oh, the, the tractors now need GPS to go. So the 10,000 years that we've been farming before this, now the tractors won't be able to follow the route. Well, it looks you like the same route. Every time. You, you know what you got to understand about GPS is the, the wide area network here on the ground that's downloaded from the satellites that doesn't, it relies on the satellites for updates and that will eventually degrade over time. But it won't be an instantaneous loss. So, good point. Well, you know, back backyard chickens are actually the gateway to conspiracy theory. You know that, right? <laughs> no, well, I hope so. Explain I've been that. talking to chickens my whole life. Well, see, once once you go to chickens and and you start eating eggs from your own chickens, and you're like, why is the yolk different than a store than a regular store bought yolk? And then you go to the internet, and you start looking that you know because of how how you raised your chickens. They're more natural versus, you know, this and then that the food system. And then you get it back into GPS and, and, and farming tractors is because they want to know who's farming what and how much. And that's oh. my conspiracy theory. So makes sense. I'm that's just, so you're saying the GPS signal was degrading the yoke in my store-bought eggs. No, I'm saying the GPS signal they use in tractors is, is put there so that they can figure out how much farming is actually being done. So they know how, so the, so they Whoa. can can yeah so like that so so they can can um shift how we eat that's, that's good that's pretty good i like that now that's right up your alley marty that's yeah, another I believe one. that conspiracy thing. what do you mean right up my alley you're the conspiracy guy man everything is a conspiracy. i'm not a conspiracy guy no, no, let's, be, let's be clear i'm the conspiracy guy i was I'm telling just, you I'm just saying, I'm just saying, how can a plane hit two towers on the north side of New I, York and on the south comes. side another building? Building seven, <laughs> baby. Building seven. Tell comes. me how building seven came down. That's all. Here Wait, are you saying chickens took out building seven? <laughs> yes. That's what I'm hearing right now. Exactly. Chickens were yeah. flying the planes. It was the chickens were, flying the planes. They were flying pigs. That's what it was. <laughs> just going to say that. Have you ever seen that uh, birds aren't real? Have you ever gotten yes. to that? Oh, yeah. dude, I love that shit. <laughs> That is some of the funniest stuff. I know. Yeah. Eric, I'll send you the website for that. Birds aren't real. Never heard of it. They're all robots. They're all watching. Yeah, they're, they're drones that land on power lines to recharge. It's great. It's, <laughs> it's the awesome. kids that thought that shit up were brilliant. Yeah, it's really good. But, you know, finally, Amazing. we found a use for weed because these guys <laughs> produce a brilliant website. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what, Eric? Let's go to this day in history. Oh, my goodness. Picture, if you will. This is very dramatic. Wait, wait, say that again. Sorry. December 19th. December 19th. All right. 1777. Oh, we're going way back. We're going way back. 
General George Washington's Continental Army has just suffered a string of defeats that yeah. fall, including losing the capital of Philadelphia to the British. The Americans Wait, made the capital of Philadelphia. That's correct. The capital of Philadelphia. Okay. No, Philadelphia. The was capital the nation's of capital. Philadelphia to the British. Okay. To the British. Okay. The Americans made camp for the winter outside of the city. Forget it. He's rolling. Everybody know what that city was? Oh. Valley Forge, baby. Valley Forge, baby. So on December 19th, Washington moved his forces into Valley Forge. The army endured a chronic supply crisis, but largely remained as well-fed and clothed as it did during the previous campaigning season. The reason I bring that up is because a lot of people are under the assumption that Valley Forge was nothing but a frozen tundra and they were starving and they weren't clothed. Some of that was correct, but under the direction of the army's engineers, the men began constructing over 2000 log huts laid out along military streets. These were erected using lumber from the region's abundant forest and typically took a week to build. With the arrival of spring, Washington directed that two windows be added to each hut. In addition, defensive trenches and five redoubts were built to protect the encampment. So they had housing, yeah. supplies. Though far from ideal, the conditions of the encampment were generally on par with the Continental Soldiers' routine day-to-day activities. During the early months of the encampment, supplies and provisions were scarce but available. Soldiers may do with substance meals, such as fire cake. It was a mixture of water and flour. This would sometimes be supplemented by pepper pot soup, a stir of beef tripe, and vegetables. The situation improved in February following a visit to the camp by members of Congress and successfully lobbying by Washington. There were a lack of clothing caused suffering among some of the men. Many were fully um, uniformed with the best equipped units uh, used for foraging and patrols. Those guys went out and found stuff. Uh, During the earlier months at Valley Forge, Washington lobbied to improve the Army supply situation with some success. So the bottom line here, guys, is Valley Forge was ugly from 77 through the early 78, but it was sustainable, and for the most part, everybody was good to go and ready to fight the British. So on the 19th is when they they loggered into their winter headquarters. Moved into winter headquarters at Valley Forge. Yeah, shit. Big event. But it was tough because he had just lost a number of battles prior yeah. to moving in. So they were yeah. suffering. But uh, people, the troops' morale, they were ready, man. It was ready to go. That was 77? 1777. Nice. December 19th. Nice. Good one, Eric. That was a good Ooh. one. Cool. Uh, all right. I think we're, uh, we're at shift change then. You know, we're <laughs> at the... Uh, we're at the end of the episode here. Uh, so on behalf of all of us here, I'd like to thank you for listening today. A special thanks goes to you, Stephen. Stephen. Uh, thanks for coming on the show, man. Right on. Thanks for having that was me. Fun, it was fun, man. That was fun. And uh, like I said, I'll get his interview out here shortly. So you can hear all about strip bars. You can hear about all the real good <laughs> stuff that we didn't really get to here. And then so, we're going to bring you back on and re-engage. I yeah, hear no it. kidding, man. We can bring you back on, definitely. <laughs> Remember, you can find Stephen on LinkedIn. Uh, just search for Stephen Leapley. Also on Facebook, right? Yes. Just search for Stephen yep. Leapley. 
and at leaplyenterprise.com. Enterprises. Enterprises.com. Yes. Sorry about that. That's all right. But I know if I if I went to Leaply Enterprises LLC, it brings that website up. So it should, yes. Not directly, but um and I look forward to those uh the links that you have for some of those questions and stuff. That'll be interesting. Yeah. yeah. So please like, share, subscribe, and let us know how we did in the comments. Oh, I didn't coach Steven up for this part. Right. <laughs> oh, All right, we get it. It. Well, there's right. no reason to coach. Just let it happen. Well, uh, Ghost writing 101. Okay, He's got to so, know what's going to happen. I come up here and we're going to say late for <laughs> changeover. And I won't take so long this time, Mike. This time, this time. That was a problem last time. It took too long. So, so late for changeover. Perfect case right there. Okay. All right. <laughs> we're going to get this, I'm sure. Yeah. So, <laughs> say it at the same time, is that what we're saying? Yes. yes. That's what we're doing. All right. <laughs> so, please like, share, subscribe, and let us know how we did in the comments. And make sure next week that you are not late, late for changeover. I did the snaps. You fucked it up. You went slower than you said. Man, thanks for the week. And I'll see you next week. <laughs> thanks for joining us, Steven. I appreciate guys. it. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.